walk through um, the book of Acts, uh, looking at the beginning of Christ's church. Uh, we're calling it unstoppable, unstoppable because that's what it is. Amen. We see in the Gospels as uh, Peter receives the revelation as Christ asks, who do men say that I am? And Peter responds that you are the Christ. God, Jesus says, rather, flesh and blood has not revealed that uh, to you. And so God is working to build his church, and uh, nothing is going to stop it. Amen? And so God's unstoppable church is moving. We see it in the book of Acts. It started with Peter at Pentecost, then Peter and John at the beautiful gate. Uh, after being threatened and commanded not to speak any more of this Christ, not to preach the gospel anymore, rather than shrinking back, we see the disciples praying for boldness and praying that God would grant grace for them to continue. And we see God granting that grace in Acts 4, verses 31. It says, and the place, and when they had prayed, rather, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We see Stephen preaching a powerful sermon and gaining his life by losing it, becoming the first martyr of the church. Persecution arises uh, more so than they've seen before, and the church is scattered as a result of that persecution. Uh, the enemy's hope, of course, was that through that persecution they would put a stop to the gospel, but rather than putting a stop to it, it only served to spread the gospel as now we see people going out to different areas and as they went, scripture tells us uh, at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, they went preaching the gospel. And so the move continues and we see Philip preaching in Samaria and Gaza as he met the Ethiopian eunuch. God's taking the churches, uh, rather when we come to chapter 9, God taking the church's most feared opponent in Saul. And making him a fierce friend and lover of the church. We see God demonstrating his power over death and bringing many to faith through Peter's Tom and Joppa. And here in Caesarea the movement continues and we're introduced to a man by the name of Cornelius. Scripture tells us that Cornelius is a centurion. He's a, a soldier, a Roman soldier. Scripture tells us he was a devout man who feared God with all his house, and he was very generous. Cornelius had a lot of things going for himself, things that one could point to and say that, that he was a man of worth, that he had some achievement, that his life was full and accomplished, and yet where it matters, Cornelius is experiencing great lack in his life. But as we look deeper into the narrative that Luke has given us here, we see that Cornelius isn't the only one. We see Peter the Apostle being corrected for his lack of understanding of the heart of God. And after receiving this correction, we see him being charged to continue as a co-laborer with God in his mission, God's mission, to build his church. And as he moves, we see, or we will see, um, the unclean become clean. So again, Cornelius has some good things going for him. He's a, a soldier, but not just a soldier. He's an officer in the Roman army. And not just an officer, but he was a, a centurion. He was an officer of considerable rank task with leading many men. Uh, depending on the commentary you look at, you know, it may be 100, it may be 500, it may be 
a thousand. They differ on how many uh, he would be tasked to lead. But this rank afforded him social status. And more than that, it afforded him, uh, it afforded him means and money, which would explain why he was able to be so generous and so, to give so generously. So Cornelius had a, a good job. He was a centurion, a man with a good job. Scripture also says that Cornelius was a devout man. Devout man. Simply means that he was an upright guy. He had values. He dealt honestly with people. He was true to his word. He had a sense of what was right and what was wrong, and he acted accordingly to what he thought was right. He was honorable. Cornelius the centurion was a a good man. Scripture tells us also that Cornelius was a man who feared God. Now this may not translate the same as uh, for those who were followers of Christ. It may not be the same uh, as, as you and I, the same type of fear that you and I would have uh, for God. But there was a reverence for God. There was a, a, a respect for the person and the people of God. And we see that again in his generosity to the people. And this wasn't typical of Romans uh, because the Roman religion was polytheistic. They didn't believe in one God, but many for Cornelius feared God, and not just Cornelius, but the scripture tells us uh, with all his house. So not only did Cornelius himself walk in this manner, but he led his family in this manner as well. So Cornelius the centurion had good morals. Scripture also records for us that Cornelius gave generously to the people. Not being bothered or discouraged by the standard relationship between Jew and Gentile of the day, he was willing to contribute to the relief of the people. Because it was a, a, a military installation there. They weren't there on good terms. But he was willing to contribute. And obviously not in a menial or a, a small way based on the testimony that we see in the text. So Cornelius was a good giver. Finally, Scripture tells us that Cornelius prayed continuously to God. He was regimented in his prayer life. He was consistent in this discipline. Cornelius had good habits. So Cornelius is a good man with a good job and good morals, and uh, his giving and his prayer life was so good that even God took notice, the Scripture saying again that, uh, uh, your prayer and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Can you imagine having a prayer life so consistent and a heart so generous that not only does God take notice, but he sends word by way of an angel to tell you that he's taken notice. This is Cornelius' testimony. And yet for all the things that he had going for him, Cornelius was seriously lacking. Why? How is it that someone with such a testimony, how is it that someone who had so many seemingly good things going for him could still be in lack? It's because that good is no substitute for the gospel. Amen? Is he a man of faith? Yes. We see him demonstrating that through how he leads his family, through how he deals with others, his generosity and his habits of grace or spiritual discipline. Shameless plug for missional community. 
But his faith is not a saving faith. We can liken Cornelius' faith at this moment to that of Simon the magician that we see in Acts chapter 8. The faith is driven by an external demonstration rather than an internal deliverance. He's laboring consistently. It's regimented. But he's missing relationship with Jesus. Amen? But God very much intends to change that and uh, gives Cornelius these instructions that we see in verses 5 and 6 of our text. Verse 5, And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And so Cornelius sends for Peter and we find Peter on the rooftop praying. Look with me at verses 9 through 17 of our text. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision meant. Behold the men who were sent by Cornelius having, been, having made inquiry for Simon's house stood at the gate. Now everybody in here, we have two characters in the story and everybody in here will fall on one or the other. We're either going to be Cornelius or we're going to be Peter. And I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you are feeling like Cornelius. You feel like you're a good person. You fear God, but it's all been very surface for you. It's been regimented. It's been dry. It's been duty and not delight. You're crying out to God and you're consistent in prayer, but there is something missing. Maybe you're in the room and you're, you're feeling like Peter, you, you know the Lord, you're walking with God, you're wrestling with the call to go. You hear the voice of God and you're just trying to make sense of what God is saying to you. You desire to be a greater witness, you desire to be used by God, but you, you don't quite feel that apostle status. Whichever person you might identify with this morning... I don't want us to miss the beauty and sovereignty of what God is doing in this text this morning and what he's doing even for us in our lives as we look to answer the call to go. God is working this thing from both ends. See, we can feel the weight of the moment but, not, but still not see it properly. We can fear God like Cornelius and believe that he's holy and righteous and mighty and all of those things are true and we would be right in believing them. But if you couple that belief with I got to get myself clean, if you think religion and regiments and duty are going to result in salvation, you're wrong. Even for all of Cornelius' good works, and again, Scripture gives his testimony that his prayers and his giving had come up as a memorial before God. 
We in and our we in and of ourselves could never make ourselves clean enough in our own merit that we would be approved before God. Cornelius is lifting the man of flesh before God. No flesh will glory in his presence. Amen. But Cornelius isn't alone. Peter is also in his flesh. Three times the Lord presents this great sheep before Peter, instructing him to arise, Peter, kill and eat. Three times Peter denies him, saying, uh, uh, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And I imagine Peter and I uh, was very snooty in it, you know, turning up his nose. So by no means, Lord. <laughs> amen. Amen. But he says, I've never eaten anything unclean. This idea of clean and unclean stemming from Jewish laws and customs. See, Peter's problem in this point is that he's looking to his natural birth. He thinks his natural birth makes him special. But the word tells us in John that that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's not Peter's natural birth that sets him apart at this moment from Cornelius. And God knows that if he doesn't deal with Peter's heart in this issue, that Peter will look at Cornelius the same way that he's looking at the items on this great sheet. He'll look at Cornelius and say that he's unclean. Encouragement for the would-be Peter is in the room. He's just as jacked up as we are. We see it throughout scripture. We see him denying Christ. We can't allow any deficiencies in our ability, whether perceived or real, to keep us from going forward and sharing the gospel, from going when God sends for us. Amen? And here's why I give that encouragement. The God of the gospel goes before us. Cornelius' fate isn't in Peter's hand no more than yours is in my hand or Pastor Brian's when we stand before you. No more than any person that you might share the gospel with. God doesn't hold us responsible for the results, but he does expect us to respond when he sends for us. Matthew 9 and 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's a work. God is on mission. And God is calling us alongside him. To labor in his harvest. John 6 and 44. No one come unto me unless the father who sent me draws him. So God is going before you. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9. I planted. This is Paul saying, I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Whose mission is it? It's God. Whose harvest? It's God. Who's doing the drawing according to the gospel of John? No one coming to the Father. No one can come unto me except the Father who sent me draws him. God is drawing. Who's responsible for the growth? 
God here. Before Peter ever went to the rooftop to pray, God was already speaking to the heart of Cornelius. As God's unstoppable church is moving from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, we can move confidently in whatever part God has called us to play because it's God's mission. It's his churches, his harvest, his people, his power, his spirit, his witnesses. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. We don't go in our own power, family. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 24 and 1. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalms 103. We don't go alone, but we are commanded to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Spirit, and of the, of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to observe and do all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God goes with us. God goes before us. Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. The only question is, will we go? Verse 19 of our text says, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and Accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Going with God infers that we have been with God. One important thing, one important thing to note in the life of the early church is that they had a rich, rich prayer life. Scripture saying on more than one occasion that not only the apostles, but the people, the church, devoted themselves to prayer. Peter is in prayer. One aspect of prayer is that it positions us to, uh, or rather positions us in submission to the will of God. Had these three men sent by Cornelius arrived before Peter's time in prayer and God's interaction with him, this whole thing could have turned out very differently. But because of Peter's time in prayer, God, had the opportunity to move on Peter's heart. Through prayer, God is tempering and turning Peter to not to just uh, see God's instruction, but to submit to God's instruction. In verse 15, again, he says, What God has made clean, do not call common. Because God was not talking about the animals that he had. On the sheet, God was talking about men, image bearers, people created in his image and his likeness, people whom the son came and gave his life for. But the evident of Peter's change we see in verse 14 as he responds to God saying, by no means, and by no means, Lord, and then you get to verse 28. As he arrives at the home of Cornelius and and finds not just Cornelius, but the scripture says many people gathered. And Peter sings a different tune. Verse 28, he says, and it said, and he said to him, 
to them rather. You know yourselves how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or even visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Now this moment is no less supernatural than God raising Dorcas from the dead in the previous chapter. It's no less miraculous than uh, uh, Pentecost. It's no less uh, miraculous than the healing of the man at the, the beautiful gate. This is the power of God on display. Not for Peter's boasting, but for the glory of God's Christ as the gospel is proclaimed to all who are in the house. Look with me at verse 34. He says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, the scripture says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. God has shown his power over and over again throughout the book of Acts. And each demonstration was meant to set the stage for the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But don't miss what God is doing even among you. It would be easy to say without Pentecost that God isn't moving. It would be easy to say that no lame men are, are being healed so God isn't moving. It would be easy to say that uh, no one is being miraculously delivered uh, from prison so God isn't moving. It would be easy for us to say that no one is being raised from the dead so God isn't moving. But we would be wrong. To limit the display of power of God to those moments would be the, to miss the very thing that God is doing before our eyes. The power of God even on display in this room with the various ages and races and backgrounds represented here. It's a work of the Spirit. We would do well to acknowledge it. 
With so many differences, the world would say that there is no way, no reason for us to be called family. But that's the power of the gospel. That's God building his church. The result of going us with God is glory for God and for God's Christ. It's not our mission. It's not our church. It's God's mission and God's church. And that's what makes the movement unstoppable. Amen. Because God is in it. And God is in it on both sides. So again, whether you're Cornelius, God hears you, God sees you, and God is sending help to you to rescue you. For God so loved the world that he gave. His arm is not short that he cannot save. Help is on the way. And if you're Peter and you're sitting and you're wrestling to understand, God, what part do you have for me to play in all of this? God is making provision. God is sending confirmation. Because God so desires to labor alongside you in his mission. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.